Okay, we're starting here on the top of Yud Amud Aleph by the two dots. Hanu Bar Yonai, the Havu Bishivute the Rebbe Mayor. There were these pritzim, uncouth, unpleasant individuals that were living in the neighborhood of Rebbe Mayor. The Havu Kimitsaru the Etuva, and they were causing him great difficulty or bothering him. Havu Kaboy Rebbe Mayor Achme Aloi, Keheka de Lamotu. The Mayor was davening in order that they should die and they should no longer cause him any grief or problems. Amrle Bruria Debitu, his wife Bruria, spoke up and says, Madatcha, what are you thinking? Mishum Dichtiv, because the Pasuk says, Itamu Chataim, Mina Aretz, Urashim Odenam, Barchinav Shiat Hashem Haluka, so Itamu Chataim, that Hashem will get rid or rid the world of these sinners. Miktiv Chotim, is it written sinners? Rather, Chataim Tiv, the sins. So the explanation that Bruria is trying to offer here is that Hashem itamu chataim he'll get rid of the sins from the world not necessarily the sinners Vo'od shafil the sefi dekra go look at the latter half of that pasuk and it says Rishayim odeinam that the Rishayim are no longer once you remove all the sins naturally or the outcome of that is Rishayim odeinam that the Rishayim are no longer there Ella what should you do? Ba'irachme aloi delahadru b'tshuva should daven on their behalf that they should do tshuva, urashonim odenam, and then there won't be any more rishayim. He did that, he followed the advice of his wife, Buria, and he davened that they should be chozer b'tshuva, v'hadru b'tshuva, and sure enough, they were chozer b'tshuva. Now, just to point out, Rashi says here, the difference between what Buria is suggesting is that chataim k'tiv is with a patach, and karibay chataim with a chataf patach, so that means that it should be Yechla Yetzara. Now truthfully, the Potsuk, if you look inside, it spells the word Chataim with a Dagesh in it. And Chataim with a Dagesh really refers to sinners and not the sin. Chataim, if the Tet did not have a Dagesh, a Tet Rafeh would mean sins. So Bruya's Drosha is not necessarily correct in the Diktuk of the Potsuk. Because even though it says Chataim, Chataim with a Dagesh in it does refer to sinners and not sin. That's one issue with it. The Marsha also raises other issues with the Drasha as far as davening for someone to do tshuva or to have the mindset or framework to do tshuva. That's something that really needs to emanate or come out of the individual themselves. So it's hard to have you daven for someone else to do tshuva. It's really the individual themselves should daven in order to do tshuva because if a person is poteach, a small crack, then Hashem is mesayayim, helps them to go in the direction that they want. But they have to at least show some remorse. What you have to suggest over here is that the davening of Rabbi Meir was simply that they should have a rufu shlema. Different types of choli. There's choli aguf and there's choli anefesh. And so just like by choli aguf, we daven on behalf of other individuals that that choli aguf should be cured. So too by choli anefesh, things that cause a person to not necessarily follow in the ways of Torah, or to do things that are not necessarily correct. So over there we also daven for Rafua that they should have a cure to this spiritual malady. And once that malady has been cured, then they will then automatically come to the right mindset and bring themselves towards tshuva. So you have to say a similar idea over here, that davening for someone to do tshuva is the same way that we daven for a Rafua Shlema for a Choleh, same thing, we do for Cholia Nefesh, and that's true in general. When you say Rifainu, uh, many of the Mefashayat Filah say that you should have in mind not only those that are Cholia Guf, but also those that are Cholia Nefesh. So this Stuki was interacting with Bruya, the wife of Rabbi Meir, and he says, the Haftorah from Yeshayah Nundalitz, Haftorah from Parshat Kiteitze, as well as Parshat Noach, and the Parsha begins. You should sing out, O oh, barren one, 
Lo yalada, because you did not give birth. Shum yalada, Rani? Why should she sing because she didn't give birth? Why is that something to sing about? You fool, look at the other half of the pasuk. The remainder of the pasuk is, Rani yakara, lo yalada, pitzchirina, bitzali, lo chala, ki rabim, b'nei shomema, mi b'nei b'nula, amar Hashem. Because more plentiful are the children of destruction than those that are from the married one, Hashem says. Allegorically, it means that the children of Yushalayim, of Israel, are greater in number than those that come or, f- or emanate from Edom. So then what does it mean that they are barren and did not give birth? Rani, Knesset Israel, You, Knesset Israel, B'nai so should sing praise to Hashem and be in song. Because B'nai so don't give birth to children like you, meaning the Tztuki over here, that end up in Gehinom. So that's what it means, Lo Yalada. They don't give birth to inappropriate or unworthy children. They only give birth to worthy children. And that's what the song is about. The song is about both the fact that B'nai Yisrael do not give birth to children that warrant Gehinom, as well as the fact that they will exceed the B'nai Hashomima. Those that come from the destruction will outnumber and outlive those that are B'nai Bula. And so there is a positive side to this Pasuk. So I'm Duki the Rabbi Bo. So this Duki has Rabbi Bo. David speaks about David praising Hashem when he was running away from Avshalom. Beno, his son. Then we have David saying when he's a praise to Hashem when he's running away from Shaul in the cave. So Which of these chronologically happened first? That happened first. Licht Oberesha should be written earlier. So why do you have about Abshalom and Tilim Gimel, and then about Shaul, which was much earlier, and Tilim Nun Zayin? You have a problem with it because you do not darshin juxtapositions, smuchim of parshiot. We who are Doresh smuchim, when there is a juxtaposition, when it's out of chronological order, but there is sort of juxtaposition, we don't have any issue with that. How do you know Minat Torah that juxtapositions are meaningful? Now it's interesting here. He says Minat Torah, and then he quotes a pasuk from Ktuvim. Shenemar smuchim laad leolam asuyim beemet viyashar. So the smuchim laad leolam are forever and ever asuyim beemet viyashar are made when truth and in righteousness. The drush or the homiletic view of this pasuk is smuchim laad leolam asuyim that smuchim are forever, that the juxtapositions have meaning and bearing on the way that we look at the Torah. So, lama nismecha parshat Shalom the parshat gogu magog. So in Tehillim, parshat Shalom is juxtaposed to the Tehillim that refers to Latidavo, the battle that will involve gogu magog. So, im yomar adam klum yesh evet birabo. Is there such a concept, such a possibility that a servant will rebel against his master? Meaning that a human being will rebel against God? Like that which will happen in the battle of Gog Magog? Do you find a son that rebels against his father? That's what happened. We know that Absalom rebelled against his father. So too, that story about Gog Magog is not going to be so far-fetched. Because in history, we've had what you consider or might consider to be far-fetched. That has transpired. So too, this event that you might think is unusual or outlandish. Nevertheless, it will take place just like... The rebellion of the son of Shalom against his father David. Shlomo, when he said this in Eshet Chayel, the end of Mishlei, who is he speaking about? So Amro 
Lo Amro Elokeneged David Aviv. He was speaking about his father David. Shadar Bachimisha Olamim, who lived in five different worlds. Shira, and in each one of those worlds, he sang praise to Hashem. Dar he lived in the womb of his mother. Ramar Shira Shnemar Barchin Avshiat Hashem Bechol Kiravai Etshem Mikodsho. So there, they're dashing all of my innards, but in innards of my mother, meaning in my mother's womb, that's where Barchi Nafshiat Hashem. I gave praise to Hashem Olam after he's born. He saw the constellations in the stars. The Malachim and the Gure Koach who do the bidding of Hashem and listen to his commands. And all the constellations and multitudes that listen to Hashem, Hashem should be praised for all of that. So here we have the second praise. Now, Yanak Mishdei Mo, he nursed from his mother's breast. Venistakel Bedada, he looked up at his mother's breast. Amar Shira. And then he sang praise as well. Shinamar Barchin Apte Hashem, Ba'al Tishkechi Kol Gimulav. So the Pashtura Pazuk is, she might soul gives blessing to Hashem. And I will not forget, or Al Tishkechi, don't forget, Kol Gimulav, all the benefits that he has provided. But over here, they're making the play on the word Gmol which is to wean, but Gmul also here is the provider. So the woman or the mother who is the provider, she nursed him, and he is saying praise for that. What's Gmulab? They put the breasts in the place of Bina next to the heart. Time am I. Why do they do this? So they won't be in the place of Erva, which would be inappropriate or unpleasant. Another possibility is that so he shouldn't nurse from a place that is not clean. Then Ramah b'mat paltan shaul rishayim. He saw the downfall of rishayim. Amar Shirani sang praise. Shemar itamu chataim min haaretz urishayim odinam barchin after the shem aluluka. So here they're quoting the pasuk that we saw in Bruy earlier. But again, chataim is with the degesh in the tet, and therefore it's the sinners. So the sinners will be removed from the world, and there will be no longer be any rishayim. My soul blesses Hashem. Then it's the kel b'yom amita. And then this is the fifth one. He saw the day of death. How do you know that that pasuk is referencing the day of death? Yes, it says that my soul should give racha, blessing to Hashem. My God, Gadaltamod, you are great. You are cloaked in glory. But how do you know that's referring to Yom Because the latter part of that, Tehilim says... Uh, you will turn away your face, there will be desolation and confusion. You will remove their spirit, and they will die. So you see that within this parak we talk about the issue of death, or that if Hashem really controls us, and that if He removes our spirit, we will die. So therefore, the Barchinav Shi is referencing that latter part of the parak it says that Hashem has the ability to remove our life. He was regularly in front of Rabbi Shem Pazi. And he used to organize and go over the Drashot Yagarata before Rabbi Shem Levi. So he said to him, What is it written? What's meant by that Pasuk? The way Hashem interacts with the world is different than the way that a human does. By a human being, when they draw 
an image on the wall. Person, they, they draw this picture or sketch on the wall. They're unable to give it life, to give it a soul, innards, intestines. Hashem's not like that. First of all, he creates an image within an image. The woman who bears the child has another image inside of her. And then, and then he gives them both their spiritual and physical components. That's what meant by this pasuk. There's no one as holy as Hashem. There is no one like you. There's no rock like you, Hashem. So they make a play on the word of tzur, not to be rock, but rather tzayar. An artisan or a artist, my kiein biltecha. What does it mean? There's one like you. Review the barmanasti altikra kiein biltecha. Ella ein lavlotecha. Don't say that there's no one like you, but rather ein lavlotecha. There's no one who wears you out. Shlok midat b'kodesh baruch hu midat basar v'adam. Again, Hashem's interaction with the world is different than a human being. Midat basar v'adam asiyadam v'limoto. When it comes to a man, creations that the man makes, whether it's a stone, a building, anything else that they create, it outlives them. On the other hand, Hashem lives all of his creations. The Gemara here is somewhat ambiguous as to who is speaking. It seems like Reb Simi Barukfa or Marukfa was one who posed the question to Reb Shimon Pazi or to Reb Shimon Levin. This is how they responded. And now he's saying, no, that's not exactly what I meant. And then he goes on to mention something else, or it could be the other way around, which is Reb Shua Ben Levi or Reb Shimon Pazi posed the question to Marukfa. And then this is Marukfa's answer. And then they said that that's not exactly what we meant. The question was something else. Marukva or Reb Shimon Pazi responded and gave the answer that we just said that the pasuk of Barchi Nafshi Hashem Chokir Avayit Shem Kodesho is speaking of a praise of Hashem about his ability to create that humans don't have. So I'm like, I was asking you a different question. You answered the question what that pasuk means. That wasn't the question that I was really posing. Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi says this is what I meant. The five Barchi Nafshi Tilim in relation to whom are they said by David. So Lo Amran El Kenedah Kodesh Baruchu Kenegeneshama. He said them about the Shem and the Neshama. Ma Kodesh Baruchu Malei Kol Olam Af Neshama Leayat Kol Aguf. Just like Hashem fills the entire world, so too the Neshama, the soul, fills the entire body. Ma Kodesh Baruchu Veinu Nira. And just like Hashem sees but is not seen, Af Neshama Roa Veinu Nira. So too the Neshama sees but it's not seen. Just like a Kodesh Baruch Hu sustains the whole world, so too the Nishama sustains the whole body. Just like Hashem is pure, so too the Nishama is pure. Just like Hashem is in the closed of all closed places, so too the Nishama is in the deepest of places. And therefore it's appropriate that the Barchi Nafshi, that the Neshama, the Nefesh, comes and praises a Kodesh Baruch because they are similar in nature. So that Neshama and Nefesh praises Hashem because they have common features to them. And therefore it's appropriate that the Nef Neshama is that which praises Hashem. Amar Avuna, my dichtiv, what is meant by the Pasuk? Mi kechacham, umi yodea pesho davar. Who is like the wise one? And who knows the proper outcome? Who is like Hashem who knows how to make a compromise or bring together two tzadikim? Ben Chizkiyahu Lishayahu Ben Chizkiyahu the Melech and Yishayahu Anavi. Chizkiyahu Amar Leiti Yishayahu Gabai Dahaki Ashechan Beliyahu. So Yahu says that Yishayahu should come to me. Proper kavod for the Navi to come to the Melech, just like we find Beliyahu Anavi. Dazal Gabei Achav. 
because he went to visit Achav. Eliyahu chases down Achav and he speaks to Achav. Achav doesn't go to Eliyahu. Yishayahu omar leiti chizkiyo gabai. Yishayahu on the other hand says that chizkiyo should come to me. Tahachi yashachem biyoram ben Achav. Because by Yehoram, da'azal gabai Elisha. When he needed information, he went to the Navi Elisha. So ma'asah kodesh baruchu. So what does Gershah do? Evi yisurim al chizkiyahu. He caused Yishayahu to be sick. And then he told Yishayahu, go be in Vakir Cholim. Hashem created a situation which took down the heirs of the two individuals and forced them to be together without any consideration of who's kavod or who's, what's the proper etiquette in this situation. At that time, Chizkiyahu fell ill and he was going to die. Yishayahu, the Navi, comes to visit him. And now he gives him a message. Ko amar Hashem, tzivakol, tzav debeitcha, kimmeit atav alo techyeh. says, give your final will and testament to your family, because you are going to die from this sickness, you will not live. My kimmeit atav alo techyeh. What does that mean? If he's dead, of course he's not going to live. Meit atav alo mazeh, alo techyeh. The olam haba. Not only are you going to die in this world, you're going to die in the world to come. Amalei, my kulei hai. Kheo says, what did I do? What that I deserving of such a punishment? You did not procreate. You did not have children. I saw that I would have children that were not appropriate and that we know is true. Because he has a child, Minashe, and Minashe is beyond all evil in terms of his worship of what is Arah and leaving Hashem. And so we know that is the case, that what he saw in the future was true. Very famous line that Yishayahu says to Chizkiyahu, With the works of Hashem or the thoughts of Hashem, what are you doing? Your job is to carry out the mitzvot of Hashem. Your job is not to look into the future and then make decisions whether you keep the word of Hashem or don't keep the word of Hashem. Hashem takes care of the future. Your job is to do what you can and the best that you can in the situation that you're in. Whatever Hashem commands you to do, you must do. And what Hashem has to do, He'll take care of. Says, okay, Yishayel, why don't you give me your daughter? And between this my schut and your schut, we will have maybe have a child that is appropriate. Says, it's not worth doing that now, because Hashem already decreed that you're going to die. So you can't reverse it. Say, take your nevuah and run out of here. I have a Mesorah from my forefather's house, meaning from David HaMelech. Even if there's a sharp sword hanging over his neck, they, they don't give up. You never give up. You ask for Hashem for Rachamim. You do Tshuva. There's always a chance that it will be reversed. Even if there's a sharp sword over the neck of an individual, don't not ask for mercy from Hashem and do tshuva. Because it says, He kills me. I still trust in him. So the Gemara is saying that the Pasuk means that even in the face of death, I still trust in Hashem and I still put my trust with Hashem and therefore I'm going to dive into him to save me in this situation. Even if a dreamer, whether that means some sort of message from Hashem, they say to an individual, you are going to die tomorrow, you still should ask Hashem for favor and daven to Him to save you, Shnemar. There are many dreams and vanities. Many words are said and many ideas are passed along. Yet, the only thing that matters, Fear God. 
that even in the face of all the dreams, the only thing that matters is, is the fear of God. Miyad, so right away, Ziyahu turns his face to the wall, and he dominates to Hashem. My kir. What does it mean that he turned his face to the wall? So I'm Rabbi Shimon Lakish, from the depths of his heart, from the walls of his heart. Shinemar, may I, may I, ochilo kirotli be. My pain, my anguish. Ochilo, I am in tremendous pain. Kirotli be. The walls or chambers of my heart. My heart moans within me. Because of the wall. The shunamit, the isha shunamit, who makes a little place for Elisha to stay when she comes by there. She put up one little wall. You brought her child back to life. Avi Abba, my forefathers, Shlomo Melech, who built the Mikdash and did this unbelievable building for the honor of God. Remember how I walked before you in truth and a full heart. And that which is good in your eyes, I did. My It doesn't mean that what's good in your eyes, I did. That's why it's relevant to argue over here that he was so mekulat He put the safer book of remedies into Geniza. So Tan Rabbanan, the Gemara now quotes a Mishnah from Psachim, which is Shishad Vrim Asachis Melech. There were six things that Chizkiyahu Melech did. Three of them the Chachamim thought was a good idea. And the three of them they thought that he made the wrong judgment or the wrong call. On the three that they believed that he did the right thing is He put this book of remedies into Gniza. There is a major Machloket HaRishunim with regards to what the Sefer Arufot is. The Rambam and some of the other rationalists believe that the Sefer Arufot was a book of remedies that was not efficacious. It was charlatanry, And therefore he was going to say for fruits so that people would no longer follow after these improper remedies and they would rather turn to Hashem. The Ramban and others of the Rishonim believed that the Sefer Rufot was efficacious. The problem was that people were going to the Sefer Rufot to get cured and not turning to Hashem. They were relying on this book of remedies rather than tshuva in order to have cures or remedy themselves. Therefore he was going to say for fruits so people would focus more on the relationship with Hashem rather than depending on this book to solve their problems. And they agreed to that. He ground up the copper snake. That was a copper snake made by Moshe Rabbeinu in the Midbar in order to stop the Magifa of the snake. And so the people had begun again to worship it. It is today the sign that is used by doctors for the medical profession. But that was ground up because people began to worship it as a Vodazara rather than seeing as a means to Hashem. In all these cases, they agree with him. He dragged around the bones of his father on a bed of ropes. And again, they were in favor of this. His father was a Rasha. And therefore, he didn't bring him to burial. He denigrated and was his father in order to show that that's what happens to people who do not keep the word of Hashem. There were three that they thought he did not act appropriately in. He closed up the spring of the Gichon. And they did not agree with it. Melech Ashur, the king of Ashur, was coming to lay siege to Yerushalayim. In order to prepare for the siege on Yerushalayim, he covered over the spring, the water that fed the city, Ir David, and the city of Yerushalayim, so that when they came to lay siege, they wouldn't find the water, and the city would still have access to the water. And you can go there today in the Shiloach, you can go to the Chizkiyahu's tunnel. Chizkiyahu's tunnel was dug, and there's writing on the wall that says that, that it was done during the time of Chizkiyahu Melech, and it shows where they met in the middle. 
but it brings the water from that spring that existed into the city while covering it to the outside so people lay siege to the city would not know or would not be able to get access to the water. And they did not agree with that position because Hashem told them that there would be no problem, that the siege that was laid to the city would fail and the city would be protected. So it was a lack of emunah for him to do such. Even though in general we say that a person has to act and a person has to do his shtadlut, over here he got a promise from Hashem that he didn't have to worry about it and yet he still did this. Again, he cut down the doors of the Echal and sent them to Melech Hashur to placate him, to pay him off so that he would not attack. I thought it was incorrect as well. He made the year into a leap year during Nisan. And they did not agree with him. Doesn't Chizkiyahu have the Pasuk in the Torah? That only this month is Nisan and no other month is Nisan. You cannot make a leap year during Nisan. Going to make a leap year during Adar prior to Nisan. So if that's the case, how could Chizkiyahu Melech go ahead and be Ma'aber and make a leap year in the month of Nisan? He made a mistake in this din of Shmuel. On the 30th day of Adar, you do not make it into a leap year. Since it could be Nisan, the 30th day, we always know the second day of Rosh Chodesh, could either be the last day of the previous month, or if Edim come, it could be the first day of the next month. So since that day has the potential to be the first day of Nisan, even though it is Adar, we do not make the year into a leap year on that day. He says, we don't say that, that since it has the possibility of Nisan, we don't worry about that, and we do Me'aber Nisan even on the 30th of Adar. If you go and look in the Psukim, in the Navi, it's pretty clear that, or the Pashtut of Psukim, is that they came close to Pesach, and they realized that they would not be able to even tahir everything in time, and therefore they postponed Pesach until Pesach Sheni. That has major halachic implications, most of which are against the conclusions of the Gemara with regards to Tumahotra B'tzibor, when do we have a Pesach Sheni? And so because of that, the Gemara reinterprets this situation in order to avoid that problem as saying, no, really, this all happened beforehand. And why it says he did it in Nisan, it was because it was a day that had potential to be Nisan, not that he was really in the month of Nisan. Anybody who asks favor from Hashem in his own merit, in the end, Hashem grants it to him, but the merit of others. One who asks for something in the merit of others, in the end, they give it to him in his own merit. Moshe asks for Hashem to have Rachamim on because of the merit of others. Remember the forefathers in order not to punish Bnei Israel. In the Hashem grants them forgiveness, but because of Moshe, Shnemar. That is a tree of the Jews, all the way from the time of the Avot, all the way to the time they entered Eretz Yisrael. Over there it says Hashem wanted to destroy Bnei Yisrael because of the Egel. It had it not been for the fact that Moshe stood in the breach in order to stop it, to stop the anger of Hashem. So they attribute the saving of Bnei Yisrael to Moshe, even though when Moshe davened, he has to do it in the merit of the forefathers. On the other hand, Chizkiyahu Melech, Shetalaz he asked Hashem to save him because of his own merit. Remember how I walked before you, Hashem. The Pasuk continues there. I will retain or protect this city for my sake and the sake of my servant David. So therefore, David was credited with saving the city in the time of Chizkiyahu Melech, not Chizkiyahu himself. Finally, what is meant by the Pasuk? So this is the Perak in Yeshayahu that's discussing this story with regards to Chizkiyahu Melech and his doing tshuva. 
And it says there in Pasuk Yudzayin, Yinei Shalom, Marli Mar, that even in Shalom, even in peace, I had great bitterness. But you have loved my soul and saved it from the destruction or death. Because you have thrown all my sins behind your back. So over here, what does it mean that even in peace or even in Shalom, I had tremendous bitterness? Even in the instance where Hashem in the end says to him, I'm going to save the city and you will live. Marhulo, it was bitter to him because it was saved not in his own merit, but in the merit of David. So now the Gemara goes back and discusses this issue of the Shashunamit, who made this special room for Elisha Navi. So the woman says to her husband, let us make a small wall up in the attic for Elisha. One of them says that it was an attic, but it was not roofed. And then she covered it, she sealed it in. It was like a gazebo, so it was open on the sides. And they divided it in half. So they gave him half of it. That's why you put up a wall. You put up a wall to divide it in half. The man, the one who says that it was an attic, what does it mean they put up a wall? Not that they put up a wall, but rather that they sealed it in, that they covered it. According to one who says that it was an attic and they covered it, that's why it says it's upstairs. That it was some sort of gazebo that they divided in half. They made it into the best of the houses. They gave him a very nice place to stay. And we'll place for him there a bed, a table, a chair, and a candelabra. One who wants to benefit from others should benefit like a Elisha. If you don't want to take benefit from others, then be like Shmuel. That Shmuel used to go around to judge Bnei Israel, and then he would always return to Ramata, where he lived. That's where his house was. What does it mean, Kisham Beito? Kisham Beito is that his house was always with him. He took everything he needed along with him, and he never asked for favors from others. So the woman, Isha Shunamit, says to her husband, I know that Elisha is a holy man. The woman has a keener eye in discerning the quality of the guest. Kadoshu, how did she know he was holy? Where did she know that from? That when he ate, he saw no flies came by there. She put out a linen sheet on his bed. And she never saw any semen omission on it. Kadoshu, who Kadosh? When it says Kadosh, who is a mute? That Elisha was Kadosh, but his servant, his apprentice, was not Kadosh. And that was Gehazi. Gehazi, who helped out Elisha, the Navi is somewhat neutral on his description, but the Gemara takes a very negative view of Gehazi. Obviously, later on, the Navi gets himself into a lot of trouble when he ends up stealing. So, based on that, the Gemara now goes back and says all along that Gehazi was a bad apple. So it says, Vayigash Gehazi la'adafa. That when the woman, Isha Shunamit, came up to Elisha after her son had died, she came and she falls at the feet of Elisha and grabs onto his feet. So Gehazi goes run to push her away. And when he went to push her away, he grabbed her beauty, the glory of her beauty, which is her breasts. So he grabbed her, pushed away in an inappropriate manner, but that was the nature of Gehazi. And again, the Gemara is reading retroactively into all the stories of Gehazi, that which inspires the end, where he ends up stealing and gets cursed and becomes a Mitzorah, him and his children. That bad ending, the Gemara now reads into all the actions of Gehazi before that. Over Aleinu Tamid, Elisha used to pass by us all the time. Tamid, 
So that's what it means. Over alenu tamid. Over alenu tamid literally means that he passes by all the time. So over alenu tamid is referring to the tamid, the korban tamid. So therefore, someone who takes care of a talmud kolchom out of his own means, then the katuv makes it as if he was makrive korban or makrive korban tamid. Person can stand in a high location and daven. Person stand in a lower location in a depression. And I called you out from the depths. So the pasuk is obviously just an asmachto, but the idea is true all around, which is the person should not be in a place of haughtiness, speaking to Hashem from a position where they feel big and grand. They rather should be in a place where they feel humbled. And then they should call out to Hashem. person should not stand on top of a chair or on top of a footstool or in a high location it should be in a lower location because there are no heights or haughtiness before God from the depths I called out to you the prayer of the one who is poor afflicted and when he faints and pours out his words his complaints before Hashem so you see that it's appropriate to approach Hashem when you're an Ani, when you're impoverished or when you are humble. That Hashem listens to the tefillah of the Ani, the poor person, or the one who is humble. So that is the minog and most shuls to, by the Amud, to have the floor by the Amud go down a little bit, and uh, to be a depression, so that we mimakim katich Hashem, we call you out from the depths. I'm Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Chinina, Mishim, Rabbi Eliezer, Ben Yaakov, Hamit Palel, Tzarech, Shikavein, Etraglav. person who davens has to daven with his feet together. Shenemar. Because it says in Yechezkel, when it's describing the Malachim, that their legs are like one straight leg. Now this is the minhag that we have. So when it comes to davening of Shmon Esrei, we put our feet together. So that as we approach Hashem, we should be like the Malachim. Why? So the Rabbeinu B'chaya on the Torah in Parshat Korach, Perk Tetzayin Posuk Chavbet, there he says, V'hinei ha'umot marim ha'kavana zot, B'kivun ha'yadayim b'vakashat ta'achnunim, V'hein atzman en yodim lama hurgulu b'kach. Sini has a very beautiful page. She starts out describing many of the nations of the world when they go to pray and they go to Davin, they clasp their hands together and they supplicate before Hashem. And he says, they don't even know why they're doing that. They do that when they Davin, but they have no idea why they do it. So he says, let me explain to you why they do it. And then I'll explain to you why we put our feet together. He says, the reason that they put their hands together is if to show that we have no action before Hashem. Our hands, our arms, are our ability to act and to do. So when we put our hands together, it's as if we are indicating that we have no ability to act before Hashem. It's an act of submission before Hashem when we put our hands together. So in that, the Rebbeinu says, that's true of the hands, but it's even more true of the legs. That a person's legs are what carry him and move him around, make him mobile, make him able to do what he needs to do. And therefore, the ability to walk is an indication of man's ability to act and to do. So if you put your feet together, the way like you clasp your hands, if you put your feet together and you no longer are walking, that's a greater act of submission before Hashem that says we have no ability to act before you, Hashem, without your command and without your approval. And that's why we stand with our feet together. And for the same reason, the Malachim have only one leg. The Malachim have no ability to act independently of Hashem. They can only do what the Tzivo Hashem is. So someone can only act with the Tzivo Hashem only has one leg. Someone who has two legs is someone who has independence in their ability to act. 
But when we come before Hashem, we try to show our submission by putting our feet together and acting in a manner that shows that we are not mobile, we are not independent of Hashem. From Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Chanina, Mishim Rabbi Eliezer Ben Yaakov, see another memra from them, Dekhtiv lo tochlu al adam, you may not eat while the dam is still there. Now, the Gemara here, Adashans on this Pasuk, numerous limudim. It is what we call lav shibiklalot, lav that has many different interpretations and manifestations. One of those is what the Gemara says here, lo tochlu kodem shitpalu al dimchem. You may not eat until you have daven for your life. In lo tochlu, don't eat al adam before you have taken care of your life. Your life is dependent on Hashem. You must daven first and then only eat. And from this is the restriction to eat before davening, that it's inappropriate to eat before davening. It's a sign of haughtiness. It is a sign of thinking that your life or sustenance is in your own hands and not in the hands of Hashem. The proper way to do it is to first daven and then to eat. Obviously, the poskim bring down certain instances where there are dispensations to eat or to drink beforehand, at what levels and how much. All of that is found at Aloha, but in the general principle, one should not eat or consume anything before they daven. The person who eats, drinks, and then goes to Davin, You threw me behind your goof, behind your body. Don't read as Gavecha meaning goof. Your haughtiness. After he takes care of himself, after he pampers himself, then he comes to Davin before me and it's wrong. That's the wrong order. First you're Mekabal Machut Shemaim, then only afterwards do you take care of your own needs. Rabbi Shua says you can say Kriyat until the third hour of the day. The Locha here is like Rabbi Yeshua. Remind you that Tosafot says back before that when Shmuel says that the din is the Daven Kriyat so it sounds like the Locha is that you must Daven Kriyat before sunrise, and that's it. That's the Zman is over. So point, Tosafot points out over here that Shmuel is the Bala Memra over here, that Shmuel also over here is the Locha Rabbi Yeshua. So even those who hold that the most appropriate time to say Kriyat Shema is Kivatikin still believe that you can say Kriyat Shema at Shalosh if you don't say Kivatikin. And that is borne out by the fact that Shmuel is the Baal Memra in both of these instances. If you read the Kriyat Shema after that point, you don't lose out. You can't say the Brach of Yotzer. Is that true? Wait a minute. When we read after that point in time, after the three hours, he can make the two brachot beforehand and the one brach afterwards. He just loses out on terms of the mitzvah of Kriyat Shema, and that's Kikorei Torah. But when you see from that, that you can break the brachot. This is a strong refutation of the position of Rav Chista. They reworked that position of Rav Chista to say, now what does it mean that he doesn't lose out? He doesn't lose out the brachot, and that would accord with the brachot that we just quoted. Tiny Nami Ochi, we have a bright that supports that. Now the bright becomes a proof to him rather than a refutation. Reading Kriyat Shema in its proper time is even greater than learning Torah. Someone who reads from that point forward is, he hasn't lost out, it's like he's learning Torah. That someone who reads Kriyat Shema in its proper time is even better than learning Torah. Now that's not an obvious inference from the statement over here. All it's saying is afterwards you are not losing out because it's like you're learning Torah. It's not coming to draw a comparison between doing the mitzvah in its proper time and learning of Torah. And Tosavod points that out. He says, Tema, Even by Shemones, you should say the same thing. 
That we interrupt our learning, whether it's for Kriyachma or whether it's for Davening. So that we should say that both Davening and Kriyachma are greater than learning of Torah. Not when we're in competition. The question is not here. If you're in competition between learning Torah and saying Kriyachma, it's better to read Kriyachma than learn Torah. But rather, it's when you learn it at a different time, Saying Kriyat Shema Ba'onatah has a greater value or mitzvah than when you learn Torah at a different time. But when it comes to competition and you're learning Torah, you have to stop your learning of Torah in order to read Kriyat and in order to daven and to say Shmon Esrei. The Gemara in Shabbat discusses those that are Torah-tan and Munatan, those whose Torah is their whole life, like Rabbi Shem Yochai, they only interrupted for Kriyat but not for Shmon Esrei. But we, who we don't have that status of Torah-tan and Munatan, we interrupt our learning both for Kriyat and for Tefillah. So in terms of competition, that's obvious that everything overrides Limud Torah. But when here we're talking about which is a greater mitzvah, that's when you're talking about them in discrete positions. If the mitzvah of Kriyat Shema by itself, and the mitzvah of Limud Torah by itself, reading Kriyat Shema is greater than the Limud Torah. That we don't say about Shmon Esrei. And, and with that, we'll end.